This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, and chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New, Li- New Living Translation today. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. So uh, when we come to these hard places in scripture, uh, that was meant to illustrate, we, you know, we're, we're kind of used to it. If you're a kid, you're used to somebody telling you or asking you to do something. And we don't always understand. And when we come to these places in scripture where God asks us, we wanna, that's what we want to go to this morning. Uh, Peter gives us some good advice on how we can trust or how we can know that what God is asking us to do is for our own good. Does God not know us and love us more than we know or love ourselves? And that's, that's thank you kids for helping us see that. Um, Peter's kind of, uh, he's got a little intensity to his letter here. This is his last letter, his last testament. Uh, he, was, he was probably crucified shortly hereafter, after he wrote this, in the mid-60s of the first century. And he wants people to know that, that, yeah, God loves people, but there is also a judgment day coming. And it's both those things together. And you can't just have one. So it is, it is religion with the hard parts. And it, it, that's really what his letter is all about. Now, Peter, you've got to remember, probably knew Jesus. If you, if you're, I think it's a good thing if your kind of refuge is always to go to Jesus and nobody else is quite as, you know, as on the pedestal that Jesus is. That's a good thing. But Peter knew Jesus probably better than anybody. He speaks for Jesus. The reason we have Mark's gospel, upon which uh, Matthew and Luke base their gospel, all these words about Jesus... We we have that because Peter told them to Mark, and Mark wrote them down, and then Luke and Matthew took that and worked with it too. But I'm just saying, Peter is a voice that we have to listen to. He's one of the apostles. He was the closest apostle to Jesus. 
as far as we know. So uh, that's who the voice is. Now, the, uh, the reason I, I chose this passage is because we have these response cards that we've been using in this series, and people are asking hard questions, and uh, like just really hard questions, and I don't have all the answers to them. But I try to answer as best I can, or, or Pastor Sharon and I and others have tried to answer those questions that we've gotten if they're written to a, you know, with a name on it, and that's okay, uh, that's good. But if it's a general question that doesn't get a name on it, uh, uh, we, we can't answer all of those, but this is a kind of a response to all of those, this message today. The hard stuff is what we're talking about here. So Peter, uh, if I can get that slide up there, this is what we're going to do in the next few minutes. Uh, eyewitness, he gives, uh, the, the reason that we, have, that we can trust the, the Bible is that there's eyewitnesses to what happened there, and they're reported by eyewitnesses. We have the prophets from the Old Testament who verify that. And then I've got two other voices that I'm going to bring in too, and I'm going to hold off on that so you'll be a little bit surprised. All right. So Peter begins uh, by as, as claiming that he's an eyewitness, and he, he I'm going to read to you out of this uh, his letter that uh, was read earlier for us. Peter says, we are not making up clever stories. Now, the implication there is that these other people are. These bad guys are, if you will. And uh, he goes on to say that we were eyewitnesses. We saw the Lord Jesus with our own eyes. And he chooses a unique, he could have chosen a lot of things right there. Remember, he, if you read through Mark's gospel this week, there were lots of stories in there. And uh, he zeroes in on one story, and it's the story of Jesus. In, it's in Mark chapter 9, but what do chapters mean anymore if you're reading in here, right? Okay. But it is in Mark chapter 9, and it's the story of Jesus going up onto the mountain. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's called that because as they went up, and the they is uh, Peter, James, John, and Jesus go up this mountain, and when they get to the top, Jesus turns... Uh, I don't know, there's something that happens where he's transfigured and he becomes dazzling. And uh, you have to use your imagination there, but it definitely made an impression on everyone who was there. And not only then that happens, and that's not that'll get your attention. But then Moses, who's now been dead for 1,500 years, he shows up, and Elijah shows up, and he's been dead about 800 years. So do you think Peter is like a little bit overwhelmed, dazzling Jesus and these two men from the Old Testament. And so being overwhelmed, he, we're, we're just going to read what he says out of, out of here in, uh, from uh, Mark chapter 9. And if I can uh, locate that here, I've got it marked. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, and that's in reference to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then it says, he said this because he really didn't know what else to say. <laughs> Those Southwest Airlines commercials, you want to get out of here? This is one of, this, like Hawaii would sound really good to Peter about that time. Like, he just didn't know what to say. And, and, and God, the, the voice of God comes down upon that and basically says, listen to my son. Listen to my son. He is my beloved son. And that's, that's what happens up on, on the mountain. Now, years later, when Peter is reflecting on this and he understands the meaning of it, you've got to love the humility of Peter because he's the one that probably told Mark about this incident that doesn't make him look very good. So that gives him credibility in my mind when somebody's able to laugh at themselves. And um, so years later, though, as Peter is reflecting on this, he, he has to think, okay, Moses. Moses is the, represents the law in the Old Testament and the holiness of God. 
how much higher God is in terms of holiness than human beings. And then Elijah represents the prophets. The prophets are the ones who always remind us that there is a, there's a day coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And that day will be filled with two things. One is salvation. Everybody's for that. And then judgment. Salvation and judgment. Every one of the prophets, look it up, that, those two, that's the punchline of the prophets. So what, what Peter realizes is that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, you, the law and the prophets are fulfilled. He realizes this later. But look, looking back then, that it's, those come together in him and that he is the Holy One. He is holiness himself and he is the embodiment of salvation and judgment. And we know that salvation came with the first coming of Christ, but the second coming of Christ, which is what these false teachers are challenging, uh, is, has judgment involved. This is a hard word. It, it's not... It's religion with the hard parts. So um, that, that's the witness, the eyewitness part. And then the prophets part, uh, it says here that in, in the account that prophets from of old, so these are the Old Testament prophets, they wrote things down. And they wrote them down uh, not just as human beings, but uh, as if they were carried along or moved by God, by the Holy Spirit. And uh, a prophet is somebody who is, they're, they're acting out of their own volition. God isn't making their hand move on the paper to write these things down. And he's not dictating, usually. There are times in the Bible where it says, thus saith the Lord. But most of the prophets are writing things down to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, mostly, for the purpose of communicating God's voice to people. And God is inspiring. We, this is the doctrine of inspiration, but that God is inspiring those words. And there's a mystery there of how all happens, but the prophet has a sense of this being God's word for these people. And then what is it, what, what, the one area where, uh, which he mentions here is it's not a matter for one's own interpretation. And, uh, it's, and the same would be for us who are reading it. It's not just a matter of our own interpretation when we see scripture, especially the hard scripture. You, you can't just say, well, I don't like that one or I'll, I want to tweak this. Or uh, I mean, that's, that is off limits. So, um, uh, these false teachers, or bad guys, as I've identified them, uh, would be people who have self-authority. Now, how, how does self-authority work? We're Americans, right? We, uh, if, if anybody in history is good at self-authority, it is us. Do not tell me what to do, is basically uh, part of our ethos. So I want to I challenge that by go, putting you through a test or getting you to think about yourself. How did your, and I know we have all ages in the room right now, so I'm going to be, try to incorporate everybody, but I know I'm going to miss some. And if you're 12 years old, I'm going to make you feel really bad right now. But uh, how did your 15-year-old self, how do, how, do, how do you feel about, as you look back, on your 12-year-old self? How do, you, how do you, I mean, I remember that. Like my 15-year-old self thought my 12-year-old self was really childish. Really, I mean, kind of, uh, embarrassing to think what I thought just three years ago. I mean, I, that, was, that was before I knew a lot of stuff about life, before middle school, you know, you, I mean, you find out stuff there, you know. But uh, whatever. It, and then how, you go further. Let's go to your, how does your 25-year-old self feel about your 15-year-old self? Come on. I mean, are you the same? Which self are we talking about here? Doesn't, isn't there a cringe factor when you think at 25 what you thought at 15? And, I mean, you have grown so much, right? Am I right? If you're not, you're stuck in a place you shouldn't be stuck in. <laughs> We're talking about human development here. 
And what does your 35-year-old self think about your 20 or 25-year-old self? I mean, it just... And if you, what does your 95-year-old self think of your 70-year-old self, even? It just keeps going. Because you keep learning. You get... And, the, you know, we, we say things like, well, the older I am, the less I know. Okay, I get that. That's, that there is truth there. That's, that's called... You learn humility as you go, and you realize you don't know as much as you thought you once did. But here's the deal. We're... That what I went through right there basically says, everybody in this room, including myself, is that right now, where I am right now, I'm a fool. We're all fools. According to our future self. That's going to look back at this time. So how does self, how, now, self-authority, okay? Which self are you talking about here? How much of an authority can you be? <laughs> As you think about, you know, me looking at a text that's hard to understand. And there are many texts that are hard to understand. So I want to uh, give you, that's the, the voice of the eyewitnesses and the prophets that Peter deals with. And I want to give you two other voices. The first one is Billy Graham. And he has obviously, and by the way, Billy is doing great. <laughs> Better than ever. You know, I mean, he had Parkinson's for so long. And just think about the promises of heaven there. But um, in 1949, so this is a long time ago, and there's a lot of um, things coming out now that relate to his life, but this is out of his biography. Uh, It was a significant event in his life. He had a faith crisis. I don't mean to, you know, that's part of our growth is to have those faith crises. So Billy Graham had a faith crisis, and he was just getting ready to uh, do a crusade in Los Angeles, and the Los Angeles crusade historically became the, the one that, just uh, got him into a nationwide audience. And I'll, I'll reference that here more in a minute. But the faith crisis came just before that. And I wanted to um, read from his, these are, these are his own words, this is his biography. For months, doubts about the Bible swirled through my mind, finally coming to a boiling, uh, a boiling point during a conference at which I was speaking in the mountains outside of east, east of Los Angeles. One night, alone in my cabin at the conference, I studied carefully what the Bible said about its divine origin. I recalled that the prophets clearly believed they were speaking God's word. That's, he's referring, I think, to the passage that we've, we're dealing with this morning from Second Peter. Uh, especially significant to me, however, and this is, this, is, this is the one that really, yeah. Especially significant to me, however, was Jesus' own view of Scripture. He not only quoted it frequently, but it also accepted it as the word of God with authority. Shouldn't I have the same view as my Lord? That's a powerful statement right there. As he goes on, finally I went for a walk in the moonlit forest that night. I knelt down with my Bible on a tree stump in front of me and began praying. I don't recall my exact words, but my prayer went something like this. Oh Lord, there are many things in this book I don't understand. Can we say amen with Billy Graham? (laughs) Yeah. There are many problems in it for which I have no solution. But Father, by faith, I am going to accept this as your word. From this moment on, I am going to trust the Bible as the word of God. Now, if he hadn't done that, and it goes on here, from there he gets up off of his knees and he uh, goes from this conference center into the Los Angeles crusade, which was scheduled to go for three weeks, which it seems like a long time, but it went eight weeks, every night packed out. (laughs) And he says that that if he hadn't done that prayer that night, that there's no way we would have gone from three weeks to eight weeks in that crusade. And, And I'm not even sure we would be talking about Billy Graham as a nation today, had he not done that that night 
He put his full trust in the word of God. Okay, so there's Billy Graham. The last uh, witness I bring to your attention is Jesus himself, and it's referenced here. So just think about Jesus as the one who absorbed God's word into himself. All of the references, I mean, you're going to read Matthew this week, uh, those of you who are in on the reading program, and you look for all of the, the times that Jesus quotes scripture. I mean, he knows scripture. He absorbs it. He lives it. He, it's, it's like core to his being. Uh, is, I mean, just look for that. When he's on the cross dying, he quotes scripture. When he's in an intense place, he quotes scripture. It's just who he is. It, it's, it's like he, it, he doesn't question the authority. He's made a, it's just, I don't know. It, that's who he is. So the question for us, and it's the same one Billy had to ask himself, is how can I say, oh, I like Jesus, I respect Jesus, I trust Jesus, and all the rest, but you, you reject the core commitment that he has to God's word and his authority. How can you do that? I mean, it, it just doesn't work. So I want to just close by giving you three practical uh, ways to help with, when you come to those hard passages and that will fit with what we just talked about here. So the first one is to not get into self-authority when it comes to Scripture. It, by the way, there is no such thing as new truth. There's, all the truth that is needed is exposed. And anybody who says they have new truth, watch out. What we need is to retake in old truth in a fresh way. But there is, when it, when, you're not going to come up with new truth. You need other people. You need the voice of what I call the great conversation that's gone on for 2,000 years of other people who have lived with this word of God and who have found different parts of it hard. Do you know that we find parts of it hard today that people 500 years ago found easy and vice versa? But, so we need the whole conversation of the whole church. That's what we said earlier, the community, or the communion of saints. That means every Christian that goes all the way back to the apostles. That's what that great conversation is about. And you, you can't do it. You can't get into that great conversation by having a People Magazine attitude about this that I'm just going to kind of think about it on my own. And, and I, I shouldn't say People Magazine, but that's what comes to mind. I, I'm not trying to be judgmental, you know. But you've got to dig. You've got to go deep. You've got to listen to smart people down through the centuries. Not a shallow approach. Secondly, you, and this is a, a quote from the Reformation years, is you, the best way to interpret Scripture is by comparing it with other Scripture. Scripture interprets itself. So here's how that works. When you know something is true because it, it's just such an emphasized point of Scripture where it's black and white, clear as day, that this is what God is saying. Like, does God love the humble and despise the proud? I tell you, if you don't, I mean, that is all over Scripture. How could, you, how could you miss that? He loves the humble. He exalts the humble. And he hates the proud. I mean, just, you can bank on that. Well, let that Scripture inform other Scripture that you don't understand as well, that's not as clear. As best you can, there's, just, there's, there's so many of those little, little hard places. Maybe it's one verse about um, the, the baptism for the dead or whatever. Allow what you know is true to inform what you're not sure about. And if you don't come to a conclusion, just hold it out there in abeyance and say, I don't understand this yet, God, but I know it's true, I just don't get it. And over time, those things can become clear. So the third part 
and this is, comes right out of the second part, is what is the clearest thing of all scripture? Who, what is it on every page that is being pointed to? What is it that is the center of God's revelation? And the Sunday school answer is right. What would, what would it be? You guys got it. It's Jesus. We can say the gospel, the kingdom of God, but Jesus is the best and purest answer to that question. So we let Jesus, the person, as best as we can understand him, and we want to understand him and know him and kind of get into his life and rhythms and all of that and understand who he is, and that helps us to see the edges of the faith. The center informs the edges. Jesus is the center. The thing we have to remember is that Jesus comes in salvation and he comes in judgment. He is both the one who has truth, John says, and the one who has grace. He is both love and he is holiness. He is all of that. That's the one that we put our faith in. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to this communion table, we, uh, we come as those who have been instructed to come. We may not even know why. <laughs> Those of us who call you our Lord are instructed to come to this table on a regular basis. But we come because it's your voice that tells us to come. So, uh, Lord, uh, may our hearts be open to you now. May we be open to your presence and your voice. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.